Hey everybody, welcome back to the Soil Matters. Our hosts are AKA, so Luna and I decided that, oh, oh there is Mr. Av Singh. <laughs> wandering around the bushes. Wander wandering around in, uh, in British Columbia. So, of course, I forgot that I'm joining on a little earlier. My apologies. <laughs> no worries, Av. We've got Luna, now we've got Av. Um, I'll stick on until Leighton comes on, but uh, Av, I don't believe you've ever met Luna. Um, she is an absolutely amazing young woman um, with knowledge out the, the flowing out of her mind. She writes for Skunk Magazine. Um, she's a consultant, a seed breeder, um, a real proponent of natural farming techniques, Korean natural farming, etc. You guys are going to have a hell of a good conversation, but Luna... Tell Av a little bit more about yourself um, so that he knows who Luna Day is. Hey, Av, it's, uh, it's great to meet you. Um, Likewise. Yeah, so, yeah, so I am um, a big soil biology um, advocate, big in microscopy. Um, I like working with different kind of outside the box techniques, um, integrating uh, different organic acids, uh, trying to promote phytohormones in the soil, um, using specific consortiums of biology uh, to promote physiological effects inside of plants, um, as well as amino acid profiles, enzyme profiles, um, integrating polysaccharides to promote uh, diversities of uh, biology, um, as well as um, uh, polyphenols, um, different medicinal type plants, herbs, inputs um, to create and encourage soil health and plant health for more nutrient-dense products, and better aromas and cannabis flowers. Oh, you're on mute, Av. There you go. <laughs> Luna, that is absolutely phenomenal. I'm just so, uh, I think in, in a nutshell, that is uh, just a small little course on, on cannabis cultivation in a regenerative manner. So looking forward to di diving into every aspect of that you've just mentioned. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to, to maybe even start talking about, um, is, is your focus primarily uh, indoor cultivation or, or uh, outdoor? So I've done, I've done it all. So, uh, you know, I've worked on really large scale hemp farms doing a 700 acre hemp farm in Canada. Um, I've done greenhouse cultivation, indoor cultivation, full sun outdoor cultivation. I've been cultivating cannabis for about 14 years. And, and, and what, what would, where would you like to uh, um, jump in on, on the conversations around where to start in, in your, in your uh, soil biology journey? Sure. Um, so I, I made a list of talking points here. Um, some of them are a little high level. So I was kind of thinking of starting somewhere small and then moving up to more kind of uh, unique concepts like experimental concepts. Um, uh, later on, but uh, I was thinking maybe we could talk about uh, 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 soil testing, like nutrient profile testing in soil and the um, uh, accuracy and efficacy of different soil testing methods in like peat-based soils and, and kind of like what you think of that, kind of the, the benefits, the shortfalls, the assumptions um, that kind of come from a lot of these soil tests and like optimizing nutrient profiles and ratios to really um, provide a foundation for like uh, beneficial 
biology and plant health and stuff. Sure. So are, are we are we jumping in and talking about uh, chemistry soil tests or, or are they going to be biology soil tests or a combination of both? Like chemistry, chemistry soil tests. So, okay. um, so specifically, I've been doing a lot of research into um, different types of soil tests. You know, we have like our malic three, our saturated paste, our to uh, our total digest um, tests and stuff like that, um, and how they apply to these kind of like super soil, living soil, really highly amended built built soils that we that we use in cannabis. Um, and knowing that they're originally made for, you know, like a sandy loam or like a clay-based soil um, and how they may or may not be super applicable to these soils that we're using in cannabis. Um, although they do provide good information, um, we may get a lot of assumptions when it comes to these tests, um, as well as the... the uh, the inability to, to produce accurate results um, or uh, how certain things aren't as applicable. Like uh, from what I understand, like the cation exchange capacity um, in terms of um, using like a Malix 3 on a peat-based soil um, may not be super applicable um, when it, you know, in while we have all these different biological systems going on. Um, and, and 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 I mean, just the the, the notion of of uh, using um, a malic three and 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 the fact that we may have incredibly high pHs in in many of these peat based soils, or or uh, especially if you're using a lot of amendments, you may not be getting the true cation exchange of of something with that such such high organic matter as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so. <laughs> Sorry, I like got so prepared and now I'm all, all nervous. And, and, and you know, so most of most of the folks uh, in in Canada would be using A and L labs, and and they may be using uh, maybe using a combination of, of a saturated paste, but some may also be using a solar carbon using a malic three, and then most folks in the U.S. I find are using Logan Labs. Um, yeah. Is is that your experience as well? Yeah, so I've been using Logan Labs for my my Malik 3 testing and saturated paste testing. Um, and I've gotten some some results that are are kind of confusing. Um, and as I kind of dove into how these, these tests are made and the instruments used to collect the values, um, they're really based on like a lot of assumptions um, that, that kind of make them difficult to, to, to completely put like my complete faith into. Um, I have a note here, sorry. Jeez, where, where did that go? And, and we can we can also circle back to, to the camera. Oh, you found it? Yeah, 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 sorry. Um, so specifically when it comes to like phosphorus levels, um, that these tests are really enabled to, to give an accurate representation of phosphorus levels um, in these high peat um, soils because of the organic matter, like you had mentioned, um, that kind of throw off your, your pH readings as well. Um, what do you think about like, like the level of accuracy and how much can we rely on like, like phosphorus level test results, like values from this Malik 3? From, 
so uh, I, I feel a little stronger about a Malik 3 than I do a saturated paste, right? So, okay. so for me, and especially in if, if you're doing a Malik 3 in an outdoor soil, we, we, we know that as soon as we throw phosphorus in our soils, it's going to be bound by, if you have relatively high amounts of clay, it's just going to bind to the aluminum in your clay and 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 not necessarily show up in, in something like a saturated paste. But a Malik 3 being a hard acid, uh, should should be mim mimicking perhaps what fungi do to release phosphorus, right? So you will get a better representation through a malic three um, because because it's a it's a stronger acid, an acid that's trying to mimic what fungi do to extract that phosphorus. But uh, but not every soil is going to have all of that fungi to be able to extract the amount of phosphorus that that might might actually be there so so if you're if you're not a biology grower and you don't have that biology then then it may be overestimating your phosphorus availability um is is that it would you would you uh would you agree with that or is that is that contradictory to what you're thinking um so from what i kind of researched is almost that the value can be all over the place um and that we can do multiple tests on the same soil sample um and get pretty widely different values um, from this Malik 3. Um, so I've kind of put less of my my faith into it, uh, like less of, um, you know, the foundation of like how I'm building my soil and, and what I'm going to be amending each time. But if I see that the values are low, you know, I'll do calculations and, you know, provide uh, what seems like an adequate um, amount of phosphorus to add or potassium or so on. Um, but uh it seems it's it just seems hard to rely on something that has these really widely uh, fluctuating values when it comes to our nutrient profiles when when our ratios between our elements need to be so correctly balanced. Um, it just it makes it kind of frustrating, right? Um, but you know that's good to know that you you think that it's and more reliable than that. I you know and 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 I I think. Your experience as a grower is always going to be more important than than what you see on on a piece of paper. Right. I, I was just talking to a, a farmer yesterday, just reminding them that you may send in one cup of soil, two hundred and fifty grams of soil. They're going to use fifteen grams of that soil to actually measure uh, in 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 the Malik three extraction. So so you're using fifteen grams that could be representing seven ten acres of soil. Right. So right. we have to take this with with a pound of salt. Um, yeah, pound of salt. Yeah. We really do want to make sure that you, you don't refute your your knowledge from observing that plant and being able to say, yeah, that that's a purple that I'm not familiar with, with that cultivar. That mm -hmm. could be a phosphorus deficiency or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, no soil is perfectly homogenous. Right. Right. So important to test all over you know, yeah. your field or all over your beds and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you had brought up uh, fungi in the soil as, um, you know, this test result or the test testing process kind of mimics fungi um, and the, you know, the secretions of fungi and how they kind of help break down nutrients and stuff and how the lack of fungi kind of uh, prevents nutrient availability and things. Um, this is something that I've looked into a lot also, um, promoting uh, fungi in my beds as a Big thing that I do with like mulching with like a hardwood like oak um, and then uh, intentionally inoculating uh, local 
fruiting fruiting bodies that um you know I'll spread the spores I'll manually like broadcast the spores into my my bed after um introducing uh, mulches and stuff like that um but also the the introduction of like lower fungi and stuff you know like uh, people a lot of the time use bakashi um or IMO um as a way to kind of promote lower fungi um, which is something that I have done and have done for a long time, uh, specifically bukashi. I like making different um, bukashi recipes and kind of playing around with introducing different polysaccharide sources to promote biology and stuff like that instead of um, uh, like glucose from molasses. Um, and I've had a lot of good results, um, but I've kind of dove in into like what exactly this lower fungi is quite a bit. Um, seeing a lot of it, um, is very likely zygomycetes species, mucor, rhizopus and stuff. Um, and, you know, I feel like this kind of sets the stage for larger fungi um, with uh, just like the, the secretions, the, the stimulants, right? These, these, these biostimulants that kind of help promote these higher fungi. What do you think about like lower fungi and their effectiveness in actually uh, producing the secretions that make these nutrients available? Do you think that it, we really rely more on these higher fungi or that these lower fungi are like sufficient? Um, yeah, so where's Leighton now? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I actually was just about to, <laughs> I was just about to ask you to share a little bit more on your thoughts around that because I'm not, I'm yeah, not yeah. familiar with that concept uh, of, of lower and higher fungi. Um, but, uh, but it, it, I'm a big fan of using different sources of Bokashi in my mix. So sometimes using, uh, a Bokashi that's on a different, um, you know, on rice hulls and, and one that's on, on coffee hulls and, and using different types of fibers, wheat bran and so on. And I add those on because I think I'm going to get, uh, different, different fungi um and and uh, bacteria and i just wanted to mention you mentioned oak chips and i think that's always interesting because um oak is is definitely there are very specific fungi that kind of work on oak and so if you are using something like oak chips it's 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 really nice to be able to do an imo around around a, an oak tree to make sure that you're getting the right microbes to to really break down those oak chips so i think i think that yeah. was really it tied in so nicely uh okay yeah. yeah um so i like to collect actual um you know like mushrooms like fruiting mushrooms right um from like your local area and then introduce it so like uh what i did most recently is um collected or i went to an arborist who has been collecting native trees from the surrounding area, local arborists, um, had had been like chipping them all together. So you get like a real diversity of different types of woods, um, you know, that already have like biology, different fungi and bacteria present in it. And I feel like that's a really good way of introducing like um, indigenous microbes to your bed. Um, so in terms of like uh, lower fungi, higher fungi, and like making things available, um, I know I keep like asking you questions. Um, I just know you're such a smart person um, and I don't have a PhD. So I'm like, I'm kind of trying to pick your brain, even though like I'm the guest on your show. I found the PhD in a Cracker Jack box. So, so uh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm all excited about this. And I already had another question. Just, it's a lot about your, sure. your, your practical uh, experience. Um, when you say you're introducing these, um, are you introducing them as a mulch or are you, are you breaking them down to the point where you feel comfortable incorporating them into the soil? As a mulch. I'm using as, as a mulch. mulch. 
And then like eventually they're gonna get kind of like worked in and stuff as I scratch like amendments in and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, but you had asked me about my experience with, with like these lower fungi and stuff. Um, uh, and yeah, I'd like to touch on that a little bit. So when I was originally introduced to adding these uh, Bukashi and, and IMO and stuff like that, I was originally told that it was um, actinobacteria pseudohyphae, like a bacterial pseudohyphae. Um, and I don't know if that's super accurate or not. At this point, I kind of think that it's probably just um, Mucor and Rhizopus for the most part. And there was some DNA sequencing done by um, uh, an active regenerative farmer in the community um, that confirmed that it was like 90% Rhizopus um, mm -hmm. and Mucor. And so I was kind of like, you know, for a second, I was like, oh, you know, like this kind of disappointing, you know, it's not this this thing and like maybe it's not so good and, and we don't like it. And so I kind of dove into this rabbit hole of like, uh, beneficial interactions um, of mucor uh, with soil, like how mucor can can benefit soil structure, um, and it talks about how it can um, really release phosphorus levels um, in low phosphorus soils, which I thought was really interesting. And also, it has these mycotransportation properties and these uh, synergistic properties that can um, uh, connect with with um, mycorrhizae. And create like a symbiotic relationship with mycorrhizae. So we have our mycorrhizae that you know extends the root surface um, to more nutrients. You know their their hairs. You know their, their hyphae um, yeah. extend and kind of increase the surface area for roots. But also the mucor can create a, a symbiotic relationship with that mycorrhizae, which then will myceliate the 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 top layer where all like you know a lot of the nutrient cycling is happening and where you know our our mulches and our uh, fallen leaf matter, plant matter and stuff to like help make it more available, um, which I found to be really, really interesting. Um, but also, hi, Ken, do <laughs> you have something to say? Um, yeah, it's actually, think consider it as the super highway for nutrients moving back and forth for the electrical signals that travel through the soil. That is the, the World Wide Web. The true World Wide Web is the mycelium. It was one of the first plants that came onto land, it breaks down all the rocks. It is the, the foundation. And the, you were talking about the different ages of mycelium. Look at where your plant is in its life cycle of the development of our planet. That's going to be more of what you want is in that age group of plants and species around the cannabis plant for where she grew up. She didn't grow up in a redwood forest. She grew up in a very earlier transitional biology. And you have to always keep that in mind. Um, her greatest genetic potential is when she was born in that. And so maybe that's where you wanna go to, to have that type of a biology existing in your soil system. And I phone Layton, no answer. I've texted him. So I'm not sure where Mr. Layton Morrison is, but if he jumps on, I'll throw him up right away. Yeah. But, okay. but you know, Luna, Luna, I think what I was taking from what you were saying was, was that, as, as Ken was mentioning, yeah, we give all the credit often to mycorrhizae, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and we, that's the rock star, you know, in, in no pun intended, but it is the rock star of, of the fungal community. And, and Jeff Lowenfels really brings us out in, in teaming with fungi. But, but as you're saying, it, it's so much more about, well, what, what had to take place to create the environment for mycorrhizae to be um, effective. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think, I think that's where we, we got to give credit to, to the, the roadies 
who are making that rock star look so good, which to me is is the rise of pus and and in the mute board, right? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and uh, there's a reason why it's in you know every soil everywhere. It's it's super ubiquitous, and it's it, inside every fruit and vegetable. And you leave you know your pasta out for long enough, and it's going to start start growing this uh, this lower fungi that that helps break it down. Right? This is just how soil functions. So we're implementing uh, part of just how all soils work everywhere, and like encouraging it in our soil. Um, Although I did find an interesting uh, study just recently talking about having too high level, too high of levels of rhizopus in your soil um, for cannabis cultivation specifically actually affects terpene um, production. So that's a really interesting piece of information as well. And, and can you share a little bit more about that study in terms of what what they yeah. why they thought there was that uh, uh, negative correlation? God, I should have had this prepared. I should have brought it up earlier. Well, no, and, uh, and, and you can always just send us the link too. We we can always revisit it. And uh, I, yeah. I think Leighton's going to be kicking himself uh, for not being here. So we will. We'll, uh, mm -hmm. I'm I'm so so. Uh, no, I, I think this is this is super. So, but it, 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 even at your thought process around why that might be. Mm, immediately, the first thing that comes to my mind is competitive exclusion. Um, when you have such a high number of one kind of biology, you know, you're kind of filling up the opportunity for other um, forms of biology to mm -hmm. come in and secrete their specific um, organic acid profiles, um, you know, enzyme profiles and things like that um, to kind of, and I feel like that probably would limit the diversity um, when you're filling all this space with, with one particular kind of lower fungi. And, uh, and, and was it, was a study essentially saying that there was, um, less robustness in the terpene profile, so there weren't as many terpenes, or no, so a, a, like an actual decrease in the um, like concentration, like the percentage of terpenes in the flower. Okay, yeah. yeah. So what type what type of conditions would I, as a grower, end up creating where I have more rhizopus uh, fungi? What kind? Of, well, I mean, immediately I would think that you're probably maybe uh probably too wet <laughs> would be the first thing that comes to mind um too much not fully decomposed organic matter like too much fresh organic matter i keep bumping my table and shaking my camera um so i'm big on not adding a whole bunch of fresh organic matter that hasn't decomposed already i'm really big on like earthworm castings um, and other like mesophilic composting processes. I'm not a huge fan of thermophilic composting. I know it's very traditional and, it, and it's very effective. Um, I just prefer um, insect-based products like insectifras and earthworm castings. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like they're safer. They have larger diversity. They haven't gone through this thermophilic process that kind of um, limits um, the amount of diversity. Yeah. So I'm not big on, on adding tons of mulch or adding tons of fresh organic matter. I know that some people are really big on like throwing fruit directly on their beds and throwing, um, you know, a lot of grain or um, just things like that. Things that haven't been fully broken down. I'm not super big on that. Like I'll take my, my plant matter that I've pulled, like when I'm defoliating or lollipopping and dry it like separately a lot of times and then reintroduce it and then like, you know, so that it's more uh, brown and then add that as my mulch um, just because I don't want 
I don't want the biology that's there to break down fresh organic matter near the stalks of my plants, right? I don't want them like super close to the stalks mm-hmm. of my plants. I feel like that's a, a great way to like have like crown rot um, or uh, just, you know, breakdown of, of the the plant at the base of the plant and stuff like that. Um, I, I, think, I think that's a, that's a, a phenomenal observation. Um, it, it, in, at an energetic level, in, in some ways it, it is sending two different messages, right? You've got a very decomposition message message that's being sent by, by trying to, to, to break down things like in, in biodynamics, you know, we, we really do have to measure our energies. And sometimes you do not want a breakdown energy at the same time as what you're trying to get a growth energy. Right. And so you're trying to balance the energy. So, so the idea of, of throwing fresh mulch and trying to decompose at the same time. Yeah. may not be the, and, and, and that's why it's, it's interesting because, you know, for me, I, I'm often making recommendations where if, if you're leaving the rootstock in a living soil bed, um, I, I actually do want to put a perhaps a fungal dominant compost extract or tea or a biodynamic um, barrel compost where mm-hmm. I'm trying to break down that material. But at the same time, right next to it, I'm trying to grow a new plant. And 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 I'm I'm just wondering if is am I sending mixed messages to to the whole living soil system there? Definitely, definitely. So that that kind of leads me into another talking point that I wanted to to get to, which is promoting conditions for specific plant growth um, processes, like mm-hmm. vegetative, early flowering, mid, late ripening, stuff like that. Um, I've been getting really into uh, specific organic acid profiles and like. Um, organic acids that have really specific physiological effects mm-hmm. on um, plants and stuff like that. Um, a lot of the time, uh, like when I was originally introduced to uh, Korean natural farming, there was um, a lot of discussions surrounding phytohormones and extracting phytohormones through the um, osmotic extraction process of adding, you know, something of high osmotic pressure like brown sugar to a, a plant input, letting it ferment pull the the juices out and how you're harnessing phytohormones from from that plant um uh from that plant uh the organic matter um and that was something really interesting to me um and i kind of tried to 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 dive into that concept of of can you pull phytohormones from a plant um with osmotic extraction and what is the um the concentration of these phytohormones and how much concentration do we need to introduce to a plant for it to really um, create these physical, phys- uh, physiological effects? Hey, Leighton. Hi, sorry guys. I had a a little uh, accident today at the compost yard. So <laughs> I, got, I got hosed head to foot, covered in water and liquid. And so I had to come home and yeah, so it's been an interesting Monday, but I'm here. <laughs> Good to see you again, Luna. We sent good energy your way, brother. Believe me. <laughs> um, so we were just talking about um, uh, attempts at harnessing phytohormones um, to promote specific physiological effects um, in cannabis plants. Um, I had mentioned uh, KNF originally introducing this concept to me um, through osmotic extraction using brown sugar and the fermented plant juice um, input. Um, and I kind of dove into, you know, the efficacy of this process. Is it possible to extract phytohormones through osmotic extraction um, and how much phytohormones are actually present in plant inputs and whether or not 
that level of phytohormones can can create a physiological response in plants. Um, from using different fermented plant inputs, um, FPJs, FPEs, um, it's really obvious that there is like a physiological response um, mm -hmm. to me anyway, when we introduce them um, effectively with like an enzyme source and a microbe source um, specifically. Um, but I'm very curious and have always been really curious on what exactly is is causing that um, that response because we're using a whole wide profile of inputs when we're doing these things, um, OHN, brown rice vinegar, FPJ, so on, um, as well as a microbe source. Um, and we're introducing a really pretty decent amount of glucose also in like brown sugar. Um, and what comes to mind is there's a few different possibilities, right? Um, one is, you know, it is phytohormones. Another is the organic acids are providing the physiological response. Um, I think it's very possible that there could be quorum sensing that's happening where we're triggering um, biological um, communities to interact and, and perform in a particular way, like change their behaviors through introducing compounds that trigger like quorum sensing in the soil. Um, so I kind of looked into it and it seems like the amount of phytohormones present in organic inputs is so minuscule and also they're not water soluble. A lot of the times through like phytohormone extraction processes, people are using pretty intense solvents, uh, um, ethanol, hexane, um, you know, naphtha sometimes, um, and then concentrating them uh, from a huge amount of organic matter into a very concentrated form when, when using phytohormones. So to, to me, that feels like that's probably not very practical that, that it's the phytohormones causing it. Um, so I kind of looked into more the profile of organic acids and the ability for organic acids to stimulate specific um, um, physiological effects, um, as well as quorum sensing. Um, and for people who don't know, quorum sensing is the triggering of microbial communities to behave a certain way when in, uh, in presence of enough concentration of, of specific compounds. So when high microbial populations come in like close proximity to each other through like a particular nutrient density, or I'm sorry, um, microbial density, um, they can build up certain levels of certain compounds that then trigger them to do um, a process, which is usually like biological breakdown, um, nitrogen fixation, uh, biofilm fermentation, disease suppression, phytohormone production, um, when they get to like uh, these levels. So I'm thinking that that's probably a big part of it, those two things. Um, <laughs> I just went ranting on forever. No, no, um, I, I, think you're, I think you're bang on with a lot of, a lot of what you're saying is, is um, we, I mean, I think we probably have come across many people talking about how uh, tricontinol and uh, is is you know a very uh, uh, has has strong benefits within the cannabis plant uh, you know and coming from from alfalfa mm -hmm. and and it is and and it can it can be incredibly powerful but the sources of that tricontinol the sources of the alfalfa being used make a big difference in terms of of are you actually getting the true experience of tricotinol otherwise it's it's probably just getting the benefits of having alfalfa and and i think some of our organic acids which are many organic acids are phytohormones right mm -hmm. and, and so we do see that signaling glucose for example is is a not necessarily considered a, a phytohormone but it is a signal 
uh, you know, it does strong signaling within the plant, much like citric acid does, much like acetic acid. Strong signalers, arguably phytohormones as well. Um, but but I, I, I think it's so so critical of how, how you're explaining it um, that that it's, you know, sometimes sometimes we're being sold snake oil. Do you think it is possible that phytohormones are, are responsible for these physiological responses? I, I, um, I don't think we're getting, I, I would say that it's our definition of a phytohormone as well, right? Because to me, glucose is can, arguably can be considered a, a phytohormone because it, it does signal within the plant. Right. And phytohormones are organic acids, right? Right. right. In, some, uh, in some cases too. But, but if it's specifically that I'm getting gibberlins from kelp because, because I, I have dehydrated kelp, I'm not sure about that. I might, okay. I might feel more comfortable with a kelp extract and, and believing that I have gibberlins um, uh, from, from that kelp extract and using that. So you, think that it, so, so you think that it's possible then that we can be um, using these kind of lower forms of extraction methods to pull phytohormones like auxins, uh, gibberlins, cytokinins, tricontinols, you know, all this stuff. You think that it's possible that we can be integrating them through like these kind of lower, low-tech extraction processes? Um, Sorry, not, kind of, not, kind not, of not, not necessarily through a fermentation process, because to me, a, a fermentation process may actually break down some of those acids, mm -hmm. right? Um, where where I would, I would feel more... Um, comfortable with other forms of, uh, of an extraction method that would not look to um, break down those acids to uh, a, a amino acids or, or so on. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So can I hop in here for a second? Luna, yeah. what type of reactions were you seeing when using these? Um, so the most obvious one to notice is like stem elongation. Um, as well as like stem thickness, just growth rate, um, trigger pressure. Uh, how about, how about early push of seven leaf over five leaf? Are you seeing any kinds of reactions like that? Um, not that I really noticed. I mean, I feel like that kind of just comes from like soil health, right? Um, like if I've never really had much issue with like, a, you know, like five leafing, um, like three leafing, unless it's kind of like a, a photo period kind of situation. Um, but no, I wouldn't say that I noticed necessarily any kind of like leaf count, um, as like a reaction to these different inputs and stuff like that. Um, cause this, this, you guys is, uh, like we're only on the cutting edge of understanding this and, and Av, you're, you're spot on about fermentations, but I think that there's other things that come out that perhaps we're not fully understanding the interactions between all of them. Um, for instance, um, working with, uh, the, uh, Muncher group, which will be on, I think next week and in deep diving on all of the, um, end results of the process of aerobic digestion, which personally I didn't think was possible, but they've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt this is legit. Um, so we've taken the end result product out of the uh, process um, and I've divided it into a few different pieces. One is the silt, 
Um, the other is the microbial community. And the third is something I don't know how to put a finger on yet. I, I, I claimed it as an enzyme. I'm thinking it's more of a hormone. Um, there's a gentleman who will probably be on this podcast in the near future. I think he's going to pop on next week um, to talk about his um, anecdotal visual uh, reads on what's going on with, because uh, he did a he did a triple side by side. He did a control, he did a bottled nutrient, and then he did muncher juice. And the muncher juice is showing some really interesting results. Like it's pushing seven leaves all over the place. So he, he the plant has sped up its metabolic process um, in using this. Now, the, the keynote to this is to understand that cannabis went into this aerobic digestion. We used cannabis plants to determine if we could knock THC off of it through this aerobic digestion process. And as a result, we got cannabis extract out of um, this, this process. So that's why I wanted to use it on cannabis. So I sent it out to three different people, uh, two in LA and then Billy in, in uh, Illinois, I think is where he is. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll verify this tomorrow. But again, it's, it goes back to, you know, this understanding of relationships. <laughs> The some of the most complex, and I think, Luna, you're on spot on with, with these quorum sensing, these relationships between geo, bio, and chemical interactions or reactions. Um, it's clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that these organic acids play a real critical, uh, a real critical piece of those intricate processes that we just don't have enough information on yet. And unfortunately, science really isn't going there because there's no money to be made in it, right? Who's gonna Who's gonna get rich or who's gonna you know invest in in some of that research? It's gonna have to come out of academia and only by grad students who are curious. So I think it's gonna be a while before we really start to unlock some of those. But I think that for all reasons, yes, K and F and natural farming um, methodologies are showing some of these kind of uh, hormonal reactions, organic re acid reactions, plant signaling. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting stuff. Someone want to buy me a chromatograph? <laughs> um, I, I would love to do that kind of stuff because I'm, I'm really just curious. Because um, I feel like once we have that piece of information, we can create specific consortiums of organic acids um, specifically for vegetative growth specifically for early flower mid flower late flower ripening um you know it's uh growing uh root root stimulation um things like that and that's kind of what i've been trying to dive into is creating like a profile of specific organic acids that aren't necessarily phytohormones um that have these physi physiological um responses in plants and how we can identify local plant inputs that are rich in these profiles um, to then use them for a veg stimulation and early flower transition. Um, and then, you know, like a bulking stage and like a ripening stage and things like that. And have you found um, uh, any, any work done on looking at either the exudates that are produced by the cannabis plant in those varying stages and, and or the micro uh, the rhizomicrobiome of the cannabis plant at any of these stages? So, I mean, from what I understand, um, you know, the root exudate 
compound profile is going to alter just throughout its growth, right? Throughout its its stages of probably, development. Probably throughout the day, right? Yeah, 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 totally, totally. And as, and even um, with different spectrums of light, um, you know, topographical spectrums of light from the sun through particulates in the sky and, and so on. And um, I love that, you know, that's like how the plant like communicates with the soil, right? The, the plant knows what it needs. It communicates to the soil what it wants. Um, and then it, it sends out these, these compounds, the carbohydrates, the amino acids, the enzymes to then create these chemical reactions that uptake specific nutrients to then grow. And if those aren't there in the correct proportions or in the uh, most, in the proper available forms, then the plant suffers, right? Um, as, as far as like your question, like what is the, the like specific organic acids and profile compounds like that the growth process? I don't think that information exists. Um, no. I That would be really cool to figure out. I would love to figure that out. Um, I don't know how you would do that. <laughs> You'd have to be ripping up the roots at different, you know, stages of growth. Um, and and, and I, I know that there is there is a study out there. Uh, I mean, it 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 was presented at the Emerald Science uh, Conference uh, in in April, um, but I haven't seen it published yet. That they were starting to look at the microbiome uh, mm -hmm. of, of the cannabis plant and, and over over different stages. But um, and I know that there was just I recently came across some work around different exudates and just looking, not, not as, as precise as you were pointing out, um, but, but trying to look at, at different, uh, what type of exudates are being produced by the plant. At, at, um, What's your cycle. But uh, I haven't come across, I haven't, I haven't found them yet, but. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, have you ever like dove into the specific effects that like amino acids and, and, um, well, amino acids. We'll just stick, we'll just stick there. The specific effects of like amino acid profiles on um, growth processes. Uh, you know, I I um, I've always had my own little recipes. This even pre pre cannabis, uh, just trying to what I, when I recommended to organic farmers, um, mm -hmm. when I would recommend a, a, a hydrolysate, uh, it was it was not because of the NPK values of those. Uh, hydrolysates. I mean, arguably the L-amino acids would be a beneficial uh, as a as a as a protein source, nutrient source, nitrogen source. But it was always looking at the biostimulant uh, properties of the amino acids that that I was looking for. Definitely, yeah, very cool. Um, uh, I found that uh, doing just research <laughs> um, or studying, you might call it. Um, that you can introduce specific species of biology um, and add specific or amino acids um, and specific organic acids, and they will interact with each other to ferment specific um, other organic acids, but phytohormones, right? What we call phytohormones. Um, and I've kind of been playing with that where adding amino acids um, in a specific bacteria um, with the ideal energy source um, um, polysaccharides specifically um, to promote that. Um, and I don't know if it really actually did anything or not because I don't have the proper equipment to really know. Um, but I think that it's a really cool concept um, that, you know, we're not really seeing be researched and and explored very much is, is um, intentionally triggering phytohormone production in the soil through specific consortiums of biology 
um, amino acids and um, energy sources, polysaccharides. Um, uh, I mean, hey, I think we're all about citizen science. Science, uh, we what we want to encourage as much of that, and and uh, um, always wanting to be able to to share some of that knowledge. Anything you're willing to share uh, about your experimentation, love to hear more about it. Yeah. Um, I've got specific notes, but I do have. It would take me a second. I'll, I'll look it up when, when we're in like a conversation. She's as bad as me, Av. She's got like three, actually she's worse than me. She has three monitors, okay? I only have two monitors. So, you know, like that's why the head's swiveling back and forth. I, I love you, Luna. Thank you very much for, for contributing your in-depth knowledge in this and you know, following where where it all leads, and and you know, uh, Luna, you are providing. Hopefully, when when cannabis becomes federally regulated in the U.S., we're going to see uh, a lot more research. Just basic. We're talking about basic agronomic research here that we can be we can be doing. Um, there was a student, I believe, at the University of Michigan. He was doing his honors project, I believe, uh, looking at jasmonic acid and seeing if he could increase. Uh, trichome density and th thc potency but this was an honors project that that he was able to 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 do and and i think that to me is is quite interesting unfortunately i don't know what the results were but that was uh something that uh that you know just seeing can jasmonic acid of course to or uh, sorry uh yeah it was i think it was just using jasmonic acid if if that could um be a essentially a, a trigger to uh so, yeah Increase yeah. aroma and, and, and mm -hmm. such trichome density. Um, I love jasmonic acid. I think it's really cool. Um, and I feel like if if you know we are able to harness it, you know, when we do a lot of our like masticating through, you know, before like we start our um, fermentation processes, you know, with either lactobacillus or like an osmotic fermentation or extraction. Um, you know, because jasmonic acid is created when we break down cell structure, right? Um, I'm not sure exactly how that functions, but from what I understand, uh, the process of, of munching and, and breaking and chewing um, like a, an animal would, a plant in the wild, um, triggers this plant response that, you know, um, uh, creates methyl jasmine and jasmonic acid uh, to then stimulate the plant to, to, to regrow really quickly because an animal has just eaten it, right? Maybe um, it helps it produce seven leaves. You know what? I think you're hitting on on all of these different notes, but the music isn't playing yet, right? So, amino acids are are like cell junk food. I mean, they can just gobble this stuff up, or baby food, I should say, not junk food because it's not junk; it's really good stuff. But they can absorb it so quick. So, what is it doing? It's strengthening and increasing potency in the cytoplasm. So what is a cytoplasm? The cytoplasm is the secret to all of this shit. It's this inner biological interactions that are so far, you know, over our head at this point in time that we can't really say. So I fed this bacteria uh, a calcium amino acid. I fed this one, uh, a, a, not a chromium, a molybdium. Uh, amino acid digest what's happening inside those individual cells would be radically different and and of course the cytoplasm would then there be radically different and once released whether through consumption by a predator 
uh, pH shift, uh, starvation, because that's something else that nobody really talks about is that the plant can switch exudates and starve off a whole colony very quickly to the point where, yeah, they die and they release that, that cytoplasm. So, you know, again, there's, you're getting into these crazy interactions that we really don't have all the science to back up, but we do have the citizens science and we do have observation. And in my mind, observation is, is 50% of all science. What happened? What was the plant reaction? You know, that's where side by sides are just so beneficial. Um, and I think Luna, I think you're onto a whole bunch of shit that that's really going to drastically change uh, the future of agriculture, whether it's you know individual plants or or large scale. And and there's, you know, the, the, God, there's just so much that we haven't. I know. You know? <laughs> like, this, this is like the this is like the foundation of life. You know, like everywhere, and and since it's not economically viable, and and just the way that our our economy is structured and stuff it's just such a tragedy that that we don't have this information um because god it's so fascinating isn't it i just i i love it you know um, where it always takes me luna amniotic fluid it always takes me primordial soup amniotic fluid what is going on that's allowing that those cell division at such an incredibly fast rate um and and again these these are what you're what you're working on is is these very foundational um, things that are in every way the key to life. And it, and it's so there's so many variables in soil, and and between different soils, the, just the composition in general, the the profile of everything, you know, it's there's so many factors to influence all these different effects. Um, so it makes it really hard to like pinpoint, you know, what is it, you know, what. What exactly is happening and why is it happening and what what caused it because there's there's so many things and so we can we can be like you know i added this thing and it did this because of of this but it you know it could be it could be potentially so many different things um but but like you said it's all about just observing the response and knowing that it is doing something um and just continue trailblazing down that path um, um have you have you um so you you've you've done I'm wondering if this if this muncher juice is uh, is in fact like to some degree would it be similar to if I took a bunch of cannabis leaves I took I you know I just cleaned up my mom's I just did up my my heavy defoliation and veg if I went and just ran that through a mixer a juicer and then poured some of that back on I was just wondering if our audience or or Luna or or Layton has ever done just not fermented cannabis leaves, yes. but just cannabis juice. So everyone, anyone who follows my Instagram knows that I'm I'm obsessed with putting things in a blender. Ah. <laughs> um, uh, I do it all the time. I, I've actually stopped fermenting stuff as much um, because I'm trying to stay away from uh, glucose sources and stick to mostly polysaccharides, um, uh, just complex carbohydrates. And so... My big thing is, uh, and, and it's gotten pretty popular actually, is integrating uh, beet juice um, for like the inulin content, uh, which is great for um, biology. Uh, and also I figure like what you're saying is you're masticating it, right? You're <laughs> throwing it in a blender and it's just chopping it up in a whole bunch of pieces. Yes, exactly. Like that right there. So that, yeah, so that's a compost I made with, with beet juice and oat flour um, instead of glucose. And it had fantastic 
uh, microbial density it had great like uh, bacillus chaining or what I assume to be bacillus chaining. Um, uh, and then at the end of that brew, I added uh, blended aloe vera. I threw just the whole uh, steak, spear, whatever, frond, whatever it is of aloe vera, uh, chopped into pieces and threw it in a blender, blended up real good, and then strained out all the fluids, uh, added it post-brew, because um, I don't want any kind of fermentation processes breaking down um, compounds that we might find desirable. And I know that um, I'm, uh, aloe vera is so rich in different profile of, of organic acids and amino acids and enzymes. And, and, and um, you you would have an amazing amount of betaine in, uh, in the beet root as well. Yeah. And, um, yes, yes, yes. Um, and nitric oxide too, um, which is oh, another ooh. rabbit hole that I, that ooh. I really tried. This is a perfect transition into this next talking point that I had. <laughs> um, so, uh, another big thing is nitric oxide and the, um, effects that nitric oxide have on plants, um, and its ability to stimulate metabolic and flavonoid, uh, pathways. And I'm looking for the portion of my thing that's talking about nitric oxide. My, nitric oxide. Blech. Nitric oxide um, uh, increases seed germination, root growth, flowering, fruit ripening, um, uh, mediation of plant responses to biotic and abiotic stress, um, involved in plant responses to drought, salt stress, pathogen attack, um, mitigate the negative effects of these stressors. Um, they also regulate gene expression, or nitric oxide regulates gene expression, um, reduces oxidative stress, um, enhances plant defense responses. So this is another compound that I feel we should add to our toolbox, right? Which I feel like no one's really talking about um, in, in um, organic cultivation is nitric oxide um, and something we should pay attention to. We hear a lot about salicylic acid and, and often sometimes jasmonic acid, although most people don't know what that is. Um, and all these other commonly known phytohormones. Um, there are even more phytohormones that people don't usually acknowledge. Um, but nitric oxide, uh, I think, is one that people should really pay attention to also, um, which is uh, high in, in beet, in red beet. So I've been, I've been planting red beet as a companion um, uh, plant in my, in my beds, as well as blending it up, straining mm -hmm. it, watering it in just raw, um, or also using it in my um, fermentation processes. Um, I uh, fermented it with lactobacillus. Um, I also added um, a phycocyanin extract, which we can touch on in a little bit. I think that's another really cool thing. Um, but uh, yeah, nitric oxide, beet juice, just blending things up in general, um, plant inputs. That'd be fine. Isn't that... Um... Uh, don't don't humans want to consume the beet juice like runners and cyclists for the for the nitric oxide? Is that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so um, it's like a it's on like pre workout and stuff. Um, yeah, regulates. Yeah, regulates. It's like the you know endocannabinoid system. It regulates so many different inner processes. Hmm. And you know, I just I wanted to roll it back because I think we missed on a point. There's a big difference between juicing and blending. So. What, Luna, what I really love you to get is get one of those food juicers so that it, what it does is it presses. It's, you're doing a, uh, a cytoplasm extraction of each and every plant cell. Instead of just chopping it up and making the plant matter smaller so that it, it, it can be, uh, you know, go through the screen, the pressing process, um, delivers some much different results 
Um, and, and that goes back into, uh, Ab, your, your, your talk about muncher juice. And Luna, as soon as we get off this today, text me your address because I'm going to send you out um, a gallon of the liquid. And I'm going to send you out probably like about a quart bag of the silt. Now, the silt itself, um, it, I, I didn't believe the results. Uh, the, 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 all the nitrogen was converted into a um, organic form and therefore stable, not mobile. Um, all the other minerals, again, stable, not mobile. And so I, I think this, this, this Muncher crew has, has really unlocked the most amazing use of food. And so, again, it's like it's going through a biogeochemical reaction throughout this aerobic digestion that's making these organic nutrients uh, fall out of suspension, precipitate out of suspension into back to their original forms. And so um, another interesting anecdote, one of the one of the three cannabis growers using this came back and said, Leighton, the roots were so white. So much, so much different than all of the other solutions and formulations that I was using. And again, all this is going to come out in the next couple of weeks as we really dive down this rabbit hole. But man, I, with the work that you're doing right now, I got to get you some of this shit just so you can play with it um, as and uh, further opinions on on you know again anecdotal, just observation. Of, of what's happening because um, it, it falls right into the, to the work that you're doing now. Um, I love it. Fair yeah. Nice. yeah. So I have a juicer, but you know, it's got like these little teeth on it and they spin around and then and blend everything and spin around real fast. Are you talking about like a different, you talk about a press? So yes. So I have one. Like a screw press Layton. Yeah. yeah. It's an auger. Yeah. So screw press. It just, pressurizes and pushes everything through so you get liquid and then you get this big cake this big turd of, of plant matter for lack of a better word right yeah. <laughs> so, and again and i had a long conversation with kevin jobbery about this years ago because he had a program up at wonderland nursery for people to come um and take his cannabis fresh cannabis leaves and press them into a uh, a juice but the problem was that they realized that the juice uh, began to degrade very quickly. So they either had to freeze right. it. They couldn't refrigerate it. That didn't even work. So, again, it, it starts to ferment because of all of the, the, the cytoplasm, this, this release of, of, you know, hormones and, and, you know, all of the other aminos that are coming out of it. So, um, yeah, there is there's a, a very big difference between. You know the auger presses versus the, you know the different types of juicers that are out there. Okay. And I know these auger presses are no joke. They're expensive as shit, and they're a pain in the ass to clean. Oh, lovely. Uh, okay. Um, Luna, just for anyone who I, and I'm sure there's people who are following you. Uh, was that on Instagram or Twitter or on Instagram? You, on Instagram. Um, hmm. Just, but just for for those who are old like me and and not on such things. Um, when, when, when are you doing your application of, of, of some of these, uh, fresh juices to your cannabis plant? So, um, the beet, I'll use it pretty much throughout as just like a, um, a food source for biology. Um, the aloe vera, I kind of stick to, um, you know, veg, I keep it in like the vegetative state. Um, okay. I got my soil tested, um, recently and my nitrate level is pretty high. Um, 
because I use a lot of soy amino acids and um, uh, aloe. Um, so I think I was being a little heavy handed. Um, mm -hmm. My values were, I think, like I think like two fifty or something, and I was it was like the end of a cycle or something, and I was like, oh, oh, oh shit, okay. Um, so <laughs> a little heavy handed there. So I've kind of cut back a bit on the soy, um, soy amino acids and the um, the aloe vera. B2 I'll use throughout. Um, what else am I doing? So I'm using like coconut water. Or I mean, yeah, yeah, coconut water or, or coconut powder. I like using kelp and stuff. Um, do you use both the, the powder and the water or, or do you use the coconut cream or just coconut water? Um, coconut water. Okay. Um, I'll try to find just like high quality coconut water and just like pour it in there. Um, or, um, you know, just like kelp and stuff. But and, I am finding that I'm probably, I'm also. And sorry, was that sort of in the, in flowering? Kelp, I keep to like late flower. Oh, sorry. Uh, the, the coconut water. The coconut water. Um, I usually do like week three. Week, week three? Week four, uh, probably. A flower? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. take a note. <laughs> yeah. Got it all up here. Yeah. Um. I can't afford all this, but you know, it sounds great. Yeah. Yes. Um, so like, uh, I like to do like sprouted seed teas also. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're like, I sprout like, uh, corn and blend that up. Um, I did that just recently, um, in my, my indoor project, uh, at week three, um, okay. instead of coconut. Um, and it seemed to work pretty well. I did notice a little bit of pistol burning, um, that happened kind of shortly after I thought was kind of interesting. Um, but it wasn't everywhere. It wasn't uniform throughout all the genetics. It was only a couple of them. So may have been a little heavy handed on that one too, mm -hmm. but, um, you know what else? Can we reel back for a minute? Coconut cream. There's some amazing stuff coming out on the power of that. We all know the value of coconut water, but mm -hmm. the coconut cream is, uh, there's a gentleman out here, uh, agro cocoa that I work with. He's got, uh, a number of plantations down in Mexico. And of course they're on land. They're not in brackish water. So you don't have to worry about salt buildups. Um, he doesn't press the core as much. So you do, you don't, you get a better response, but he's got this tons and tons of coconut cream that people just don't understand the value of it. And so he started playing around with it with plants and it goes back to your, your very work that you're doing. With it. These again are, are, you know, they're total friggin' hormonal bombs because think about what that was in the plant. Mm -hmm. um, I got to get you some of that shit too. <laughs> the value. Yeah. Like, I would think of it as, a, as the fats, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fats. Yeah. Um, I played with uh, using coconut milk also because, um, you know, we understand the introduction of like uh, omega 3 or, or different. Um, fats and like fish and stuff and fish is, is so commonly been used um i've been trying to stay away from fish uh just because i i feel like i kind of think of as uh, fish products as like fuel it's like diesel fuel almost or like gasoline and when you throw it on fire which i contribute to be or which i think of uh biology as it just kind of explodes right and um i've been to a lot of farms where they have been using a lot of fish and they have a lot of like stem rot problems um especially if they're growing like really large cannabis plants, like these plants that get older, you know, the, the, they stay alive for much longer overusing fish. They see a lot of like rot problems um, as well as kelp people. Sometimes people just pump their plants with fish and kelp. 
Um, and then they, they always have these, these issues and they're like, oh, I don't know why I'm losing limbs. I don't know why I'm getting these rots around the base of my stems. So I've been staying away, my point being, I've been staying away from fish and looking at different sources of fats and um, coconut milk um, to me kind of clicked in my head as like a good source of fats. And now you're talking about coconut cream um, and that makes a lot of sense to me too um, because fats are such an important part of, of soil structure um, and biology and like, um, um, uh, biofilm production. Biofilm production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point too. Builds aggregates. Builds mm -hmm. aggregates. Yes. All right. Well, get ready because you're going to get a whole bunch of shit coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you sending me stuff? Cool. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, um, thank you. I'm excited. And, and how I'm how is the garden looking? Sorry, Av. I, yep. we, we worked on a little side project about what two months ago, three months ago. How, yeah. how did everything bounce back? Oh, no, there was never any problems. That happened. Oh, oh, in the beds. So yeah. Okay. So let me go over for everyone that's not us. <laughs> um, so um, I built a new soil for my indoor project um, and I got some test results back. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I kind of brought up test test. Um, test result conversations with you. Um, and my pH was 5.0. My um, potassium levels were in the way upper toxic levels of potassium. Um, my sodium levels were through the roof. Um, and I was just like, what, what the, you know, what the fuck is like, what the fuck happened to my soil? Um, and on the, the, the test, uh, the Malik three, you know, thing and Logan lab suggestions are like, nothing will grow in the soil, you know, not in those words, but they're like, you got to fix this soil before you plant anything in it. Cause nothing's going to grow in it. Um, and uh, I had already been growing plants in it. Um, I and the plants it. were fucking beautiful. Out. The plants were fucking thriving. They were thriving. They were crushing. And, um, and she's like, is, could the test results be wrong? And I'm like, nah, I don't think the test results are wrong, but then we start down. What, do you, what else are you doing? Why, why is this working? So that's why I'm asking her this question because I'm really interested. Have you? Have you? Go ahead. Finish the. Hey, hey Ken, can you um, can you bring up um, an image for me on my Instagram for the viewers? I surely can. So okay, we're going to be at the top of your page. How far down is it? So number ten, the tenth latest video posted scroll down just a little bit please that one on the left this is living soil click this one right oh. here uh no one above that that one right there click that one that one there yeah yeah that one there i don't know if we can maximize that image so these are the plants that were growing in that soil in a 5.0 ph with super high levels of, of sodium and over the toxic uh, values of potassium um and not only are the plants robust you, we have visible white roots growing out of the surface of the soil. Um, and now, um, if you... That's as big as I can make it. Oh, that's cool. Um, it, can you can you pull up another one, please? Yeah. So if you go up a little bit, there should be a video of the bud forming teacher right there. So moon, moon diamond at four weeks. So that's one of my genetics. Right here. Mm -hmm. when I that one there. So that's the same soil, same plants growing at four weeks. 
the bud development is fantastic. The buds are huge and they're frosty and they smell amazing. Um, and I haven't really done anything except for, you know, add some, some, some beet juice, um, add some aloe, add some kelp, some humic acid. Um, but I'm mostly watering, you know, nine out of 10 days. I'm just doing clean water. Um, and they're just super stoked. And the soil pH is still 5.0 <laughs> and, and um, everything, nothing has changed. And so it's, it's been really interesting because I focus a lot on biology, right? And stimulating um, uh, biological processes. And when I, when I ran the numbers for the soil that I built, um, it all made sense. It all balanced. Um, I follow uh, like Albrecht um, soil balancing theory um, to build my soils and um, it all made sense, right? But when I got it tested, it was all wacky. Um, and um, the calcium uh, values were pretty low. Um, and Leighton, when I had the conversation with Leighton, um, he suggested that the potassium had, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that the potassium had locked up um, cation exchange sites so that the calcium couldn't get in. Is, is that correct? That was what, like what you would thought? So um, what I was what I was originally thinking was that because you have such high levels of biology mm -hmm. and you're using so much humic acid and by default getting some fulvic acid in there, you were effectively creating buffers around the, the root the, in the rhizosphere that was protecting uptake of nutrient. But yes, to some degree, um, potassium at that levels is fucking toxic. And so, and you all said sodium. So the sodium was the thing I was really worried about on your cation exchange sites because that if would you have that much sodium and and not enough available calcium, then yeah, your cation exchange sites would have been fucked because they were in the in the saturated paste test. It was like, how is anything even growing there? So again, you know, I I think I credit you for being an intuitive grower that that understands these more intricate existence or, or co-creations or co-mingling of, of the microbes, the nutrients, but you know, biogeochemical interactions. So yeah. And I think too, another thing is when that plant gets harvested, you should take a chunk of the root ball and send that to Logan and have them do the soil test from, you know, have them extract the soil from the root ball. Cause I'll bet you that that's kind of what's going on is because of your other practices are allowing that force field around the rhizosphere that's that's allowing such, you know, incredible plant reaction in such horrific soil conditions. I can't, I, I don't have no other answers for it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but um, I did kind of figure out the cause because um, I was racking my brain of what could have possibly happened because I use the exact same soil recipe in my soil bed. Um, Ken, can I ask you to bring up another picture, please? <laughs> um, so I use the exact same soil recipe. Um, if you scroll down just a little bit in my uh, greenhouse soil bed, it should be right below this, um, right, right there on the right. See uh, that one next to the frog. So that's the same soil recipe um, that I used um, in my my greenhouse soil bed. Um, the only thing that I did different was uh, my source of earthworm castings. Um, and it took me kind of a, a bit to 
to, to feel like that was it. Um, and I tested my earthworm castings that I had on hand that I used to build the other soil. Um, and they were testing a 5.0. Um, and I was like, oh my God, like this is it. Um, this is this is what it was. And um, so I sent it off to Logan, the castings off to Logan Labs. Um, and um, I was kind of speculating that the, the earthworm castings had a high sodium content also for maybe some reason that turned out to be incorrect. Um, so I got to figure out, you know, I use a lot of ocean-based products um, in my, my soil building. And so I think that that's probably where it came from. What was, uh, what was your potassium like in those earthworm castings? Um, I'd have to bring it up. I could bring it up. Sometimes earthworm castings can be way off on, on potassium as well. Um, and same with compost for whatever reason. Compost is always high in potassium. So... So that, that could contribute to your other cation exchange capacity. Uh, so the value found for potassium was 1375. Yeah. 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 That's, that's um, and what's your calcium and magnesium? Wait till you hear this out. Calcium, calcium was uh, 6,008 and magnesium was 1356. Can you bounce to the saturated paste test? Because that, that's really that, the reason. That was just the earthworm castings. That was just the castings I was using. So that that's that's yeah yeah that's not uh, yeah that's not overly safe. Yeah, so I used the same castings when I was planting my my soil bed outside, and it actually damaged all my plants, and I had to replace a whole bunch of them, and I was very upset. <laughs> I was very upset because this kind of thing never happens to me, <laughs> and I was so frustrated because I was like, why, you know. And the lesson that I learned is, is, is regardless of whatever test results that you get from, from a supplier, you should do your own testing on every input um, because it's probably not going to be indicative of the product that you've received. Especially um, if the scale you're working at. Yeah. And so um, the saturated paste, calcium, uh, we got 59.75, magnesium 42.05, potassium 86.39, uh, sodium 27.18. Right, Ab? <laughs> I told her, I go, whatever you're doing, Looney, you're fucking amazing. <laughs> if you can get that kind of response. So, so, so I, yeah, I was pissed. I was pissed. I was pissed. Um, Cause you know, casting is by nature supposed to be neutral, right? You know, like the gut biomes of earthworms and stuff are going to, going to produce a, a neutral product. Um, and this, this is, this is what I got. Um, and it, it, really set back my my yeah, bet with, with those numbers uh, i don't understand how the ph is that low this i mean this the, is, sulfur, the sulfur must be like you know this is why i was kind of like what is the, the accuracy of these malik three and paste tests i was like what's going on here like how do these things actually work because none of this makes sense to me right um so i um when i planted my my greenhouse bed um about a month ago uh, actually, I think it was like six weeks ago. Um, I always do like some earthworm castings at the bottom of my hole. And then I sprinkle some like mycorrhizae on top of it. And then I plant my plant directly on top of it, right? Um, and everything immediately stopped up taking nutrients. <laughs> just, just just stopped completely. Um, and I, you know, I added some some aloe and some some enzymes and like, you know, some some nice things and some beet juice. And everything just stopped growing. And I was like... It all started turning yellow and, you know, I got purple stems and everything's drooping and burning and vascular burning and all this stuff. And like this kind of thing, just, it just, 
it never happens to me, right? Um, and I was just furious and it took me so long to figure out. And I was just kind of like, what, why would this happen? And I call Layton and I, I called a few other people and I'm, yeah, but um, yeah, it turns out that it was, um, it was bad earth from castings, which um, I guess maybe their bedding was poor, their input was poor, maybe got too old. I don't know, but it was really big. It was a really big headache for me, but um, everything is now looking really good. Um, Maybe I could post an image of the bed right now so you can see what the bed looks like now, Layton. Um, we could bring yeah, it up. Can you can wait to see it. I do have. And how much longer till you harvest that? Uh, um, I'm probably going to take them to week nine. So like another month. Oh my God. Those are going to stack like crazy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Is that a hash plant or is that a regular high tea? It's a high tea, high tea tea plant. Um, that's my my moon diamond, which is a genetic that I made. It's um, oh, nice. A, a DJ Shorts blueberry on kryptonite, then crossed to UK cheese, and then I put that on a um, a, a cut of diamond OG that I received. That was extremely trichome dense. It almost looked like a purple punch or like a Mac one, um, and I just found this fantastic phenotype of it. It's just huge buds are super frosty and the smell is just cheesy and like how like berry undertones and like kind of just like gassy and it's just, oh, it's fantastic. Um, um, Luna, Luna are, you, are you growing that in another bed as well? Everything I grow is in beds. Oh no, sorry. Are you growing moon diamonds in another bed right now? Or like just- a different in a different bed. Yeah, yeah. I um, I had to replace some of my plants that got damaged out in my my greenhouse, and so I planted um, some out there. Um, and and um, do the plants look similar to the one in this so-called screwed up bed? They're um, they're like a month behind the other ones. Just but but otherwise they look their their phenotypic expression looks the same the smells the same all of that oh it's a more clone <laughs> so but even still because of the different soil oh um i didn't really pay attention to it i'll have okay. to i'll have to get back to you on that yeah but um i'm posting i'm posting an image of my my greenhouse bed right now um so you can see what the plants look like now after they've recovered and started growing but um can I just posted an image on Instagram if you want to check it out and bring it up? Yeah, there it is. So that's my my greenhouse bed, um, which got messed up originally, but I just flushed it out and did some stuff and and was able to turn it around. And so I think that picture was maybe like a two weeks ago, something like that. So that other flowered mm -hmm. out, and I just did some like lollipopping yesterday. So. Yeah, well done. Thank you very much. Wow. I love growing plants. I love plants. I love weed. <laughs> well, it shows. And, and someday I'd love to try a, a nugget of that, that creation, that moon dime. That sounds like yeah. an amazing cross. Aren't you in Oregon? <laughs> no, I'm in uh, Cali, SoCal. Oh, okay. Oh, you're in SoCal? Yeah. Am I going to SoCal? I need to go to SoCal. I need to visit my grandma. Well, there you go. When you come on down, let me know. Yeah. Where, where's your grandmother? Uh, she's in Los Angeles County. Oh, fantastic. I'm just about an hour and a half north in Oxnard. Okay, cool. 
Oh, okay. Well, I have to drive right through Oxnard to get there. There you go. So, yeah. There you cool. go. Cool, cool. Um, all right. Let me bring up some other talking points. What else we got to talk about here? I was wondering, um, in with with any of your experimentation, have you have you done anything with other companion planting other than just sugar beets? Uh, anything yeah. else that uh, others might want to try this year? So, um, I like rye. I like buckwheat. I like mm -hmm. um, alyssum. Yeah. Um, I just threw a whole bunch of how, how much how, how tall do you let your rye grow? Um god <laughs> until it gets in my way. <laughs> okay. Um so I guess yeah. it depends on the, the cultivar, the stretch, your lollipop and such. Um but if it gets too out of control, I'll just bunch it up and get some loppers and, and cut it down. <laughs> Wizard, thank you. Um and just like clean it up with like some some hedge cutters or, or I've seen people even use like a weed whacker and just, <laughs> just um, mow it down. But um, I just would leave it sometimes. There was this, so I, this past outdoor season that I did, I was in Southern Oregon and I used um, um, uh, buckwheat, I used buckwheat and it got way too tall. Um, and I didn't want to cut it down because it had a lot of flowers on it and I like attracting the pollinators and I like, um, you know, just a home for beneficial insects, right? Um, so what I did is I just rolled it. I pushed it over to the side and made like a wreath with it around the pot so that it all just like fell down and continued to cover the soil surface, but I didn't have to to damage the plant and like remove any of the, the, the plant. Um, there's a gold bar. That's called rolling and crimping, man. That's genius because the flowers would keep growing, right? Yeah. And and so like it was almost like um like super cropping almost where you like kind of just like push it over. And I just push it around the pot and made like this big circle around the around the pot. Um it made it hard to top water, but we had irrigation and mm -hmm. soaker house and stuff, so so that worked out just fine. I've um I've heard that uh, chamomile releases uh, sterols, um, okay. and 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 that those sterols are arguably some building blocks for hexanoic acid, uh, which is one of the precursors to to uh, um, either higher uh, maybe it's to to olivetic acid one of one of the precursors to THC or CBG. Um, have you ever experiments, experimented with chamomile as a companion plant? No, I haven't. So you're, so, so, so what I'm kind of hearing you say is that, um, the root exudates, um, have compounds present that are the building blocks for THC. Yeah. Um, I always wonder if one, if they can survive the, the transfer of being put into the soil and then being uptaken by another plant. And then if they can be utilized in the cellular structure of the plant. Um, I, I still think yeah. of it as a microbial food. I still think that it, it's just all, all of a sudden there's something that the microbes can cheat with. There's it's, it's in, it's in a greater quantity that, that, Oh, I can, I, I've got the building blocks right there. I can make, Hexanoic acid, or I can make. Um, gotcha. yeah. Yeah, and then, I don't know if it works that way, 
And so like a like a like, communication to the soil biology. So this is kind of where that like quorum sensing that we were talking about comes in, right? Like these signaling compounds that then tell the biology to do a particular thing. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's possible, right? So like it's possible that these root exudates are then being uptaken by a cannabis plant to then build THC. Um, you know, again, like who knows, but let's just do it anyway and see what happens, right? Yeah, um, Luna. To be honest, if you have active mycorrhizae, you are going to have those kinds of exchanges. So add very well maybe onto something as far as, you know, in a truly healthy biological system with mycorrhizae, we know that mycorrhizae is talking to every plant in that system and they are exchanging nutrients, exudates, and everything, including biology inside of them, endophytes. So I've got to believe that that would have a definite positive effect as far as, you know, increased THC to production. I think that it's possible for sure. Um, I'm all about diversity of companion plants. I'm all about companion plants, living mulches and promoting, um, you know, root exudates. And uh, I've always felt like uh, I have the most healthy, vigorous, bright green plants when um, there's a bunch of companion plants with it. Um, and this is kind of like a living soil, like no-till, no-till process really um, growing where we're having a whole bunch of different types of uh, companion plants with specific root exudate profiles that either, you know, nitrogen fix or phosphorus fix, potassium, whatever. Um, and then those all interact with, you know, fungal bodies that communicate with each other, um, transport, you know, use microtransportation to move specific compounds to wherever they're needed in the field or in the soil mass. Um, and I think that that concept is super invaluable, super, like super cool, um, and definitely like worthy of researching and implementation. Um, I would be very curious to see the difference between a plant grown with specifically chamomile um, and a, the identical regimen and system mm -hmm. without, and to see if it actually is doing it. Um, and then if you can just get, oh, maybe. <laughs> and then um, uh, maybe even just get that in that organic acid or that, that compound um, in, in like a pure form or like a, a consortium of, of these, these acids um, and then just give it to the plant right? Um, like we can find these, these profiles of, of organic acids and um, just introduce them to the plant. Because these are things that people aren't doing. Like you don't, you don't hear of like, you know, everyone's selling their, their nitrogen or their, their NPK products and stuff, but you, you know, one's selling organic acid consortiums, right? To stimulate specific processes and specific compounds and, and secondary metabolites in plants. I think that's where we should be going. I think that that's the next place to go. Um, is um, specific arrangements of microbes. I, I was always intrigued uh, to hear Josh and Kelly explain why they use their dragonfly earth medicine um, elixirs, and and in many times it, it was it was like this. Hey, this this makes sense to a pregnant mother. Mm -hmm. let's, let's let's put that in the soil and see what happens for mm -hmm. essentially a. Um, pregnant plant. Yeah. Yeah, well, and you yeah, consider really guys that if you have the compounds that the trichomes are being made of readily available in the soil structure around your plant, should, the biology doesn't have to break that out of the soil. They just take it out of that and 
you're going to increase because it's like a warehouse in a city. If your food wasn't in that warehouse to go out to the stores every day, people would go hungry. You're doing the same thing for your plant. Well, here's, here's, here's the next level of that whole conversation is delivery, right? So you, you, you get a hold of these critical enzymes. I don't even know what to call them at this point, but we'll, we'll call them enzymes. And you introduce those to fulvic acid. Now it's going to be directly connected into the cell or metabolized into the cell with little or no energy. So, you know, you're Luna, you're spot on about next generation to, to develop these critical pieces or, or quantum components and then getting them into the cell on, on, you know, plant wise. And I think, I think, Ken, you missed the point you were trying to make. And that is if you're saving ADP, you're, you're allowing the plant to put its energy yeah. into other things like trichome production, like bud yeah. size density. So yeah, no, I, yeah, that's why you're here, Luna. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, earlier, uh, I just want to share some information that I had collected um, earlier. We were talking about the specific consortiums of um, uh, bacteria with acids to create um, phytohormones. And I uh, have, have found some of that information I'd like to share with y'all. Um, so for gibberellins, um, the combination of Bacillus subtilis, azospirillum, uh, and Simon, uh, Pseudomonas florensins um, with succinic, citric, malic, and acetic acid uh, has been shown to promote um, gibberellic acid in the soil. Um, well, wait, products wait, like wait till fucking Muncher crew gets on here. Mo starts talking about, he's been playing for 12 years with, with exactly what you're talking about. Consortiums of bacteria in their interactions. And that's why he's getting the results he's getting in this aerobic digestion. So again, you're, you're, you're totally chasing the right friggin' rabbit. I, th I think that this is it. I think that this is the, the next direction, you know, like uh, cannabis is medicine, right? And as regenerative living soil, organic or people, you know, we, we understand the difference between um, the medicinal and therapeutic effects of uh, an organic living soil grown plant and not to shit on anyone, but a hydroponic one, right? Um, and to me, it's really obvious um, when you smoke it, when you taste it, the aromas are different, the profile of secondary metabolites, not just terpenes are different. Um, and, you know, this entourage effect is what creates medicinal effects in people, right? Um, and so we should be promoting the full profile, the full genetic expression of the cannabis plant. Um, and, you know, figuring out exactly what it is that contributes to these, these other volatile compounds um, that create aroma and, the, and these therapeutic effects is crucial part of creating medicine to me, right? So if, if we're really chasing medicinal value, therapeutic value, and having a superior, unique product that is a benefit to people, then this, these are the directions that we need to be going in, right? Um, what is it that, that bring out these therapeutic effects and how do we best harness them and implement them um, to create a flower that heals people and that relieves pain and, and, and grows better food too. You know, it's not just about weed, right? <laughs> about plants, about food, regenerating soil, um, healing the earth, growing food that, that, that 
heals people and cures diseases and stuff. And you're bla and you're blazing the path, Luna. So I'm thank you, thank you, thank you. I just feel like I'm a, some weed grower on Instagram. I'd really love to blaze the path. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the universe opens up for me. Someone, someone buy me a laboratory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on it. Okay. And on, on one other thing on companion plants, have you ever tried potato? Potato, um, not intentionally. I grew in a field that had potatoes growing in it one time. <laughs> you got to try that. Uh, there, there's something to it. Um, you know, and Josh and Kelly will t say the same thing. Don't know why, don't can't explain it, but there's some kind of interesting interaction between potato and cannabis for whatever reason. So great. Yeah, give it a shot. And you can get the little cute ones or you can get big russets. It doesn't matter, just that they're in the source in the soil near the roots. And there's some kind of interaction that goes on. I'll try it out. Yeah, I'm all about diversity of stuff. Um I put a whole bunch of purple alyssum, um, one because of um, the aroma. I'm trying to, to encourage the floral aroma in a cannabis plant um, if possible, um, but also it's great for beneficial insects and it's not susceptible to things like uh, aphids as much as some other companion plants are. Um, but also I, I really just wanted a big, a big bed full of purple flowers next to all my cannabis plants too. I think that would be really cool. Right on, right yeah. on. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, so we need you to go back or Lily suggested you go back to your presentation because we don't want to cut you off. We only have half an hour left and I know you are an incredible depth of knowledge. So, you know, if there's more that you want to share before we run out of time, by all means, you know, so check out. Talk about quorum sensing, talk about nutrient testing or nutrient um, tests, um, organic acids. Um, I want to talk a bit about phycocyanins. Um, we talk about nitric oxide. Um, I have another one. Horizontal gene transfer is a cool subject we could talk about um, in lower fungi. Um, um, let's just touch on phycocyanins real quick. So um, when we had talked last, you were talking about fermenting algae. Um, you had brought up this point of fermenting algae. Um, and so I kind of dove into to algae and um, the profiles in algae and found um, this word I hadn't been familiar with before, which is phycocyanins, um, which is the, um, it's responsible for like, a, like the blues. Um, it's, and it's in um, a bunch of cyanobacteria. Um, there's a lot of evidence to show that phycocyanins have a positive physiological effect on plants. Um, specifically to stimulate plant growth, increase photosynthetic efficiency. Um, uh, they increase chlorophyll content in plants, um, increasing photosynthetic activity. Um, uh, can occur through a process known as non-photochemical quenching, which allows plants to regulate the amount of light energy they absorb through photosynthesis. Um, phycocyanins have been shown to have antioxidant properties and protect plants from damage caused by reactive oxygen species. Um, um, and these these properties are why blue-green algae is so successful in our environments because mm -hmm. it can shade itself to, to collect different spectrums um, and survive in different uh, types of uh, low-light or high-light applications. So 
it only makes sense that that dot would do the same thing in the, in the chloroplast. Yeah. Um, so this is something that that I had been unfamiliar with, um, and I feel like this is probably what we're experiencing when we're using things like kelp and seaweed extracts. But you can also just get pure phycocyanin, um, like 100% uh, pure phycocyanin. They call it blue spirulina. They extract it from spirulina. Um, and I feel like this is what people are experiencing when they make um, what people call super labs, um, where they're fermenting kelp in lactobacillus um, to get like this blue hue um, where they have like these blue labs is what they call it, uh, super labs. So I just got straight phycocyanin extract. <laughs> um, and uh, I found that phycocyanin and nitric oxide have like a really interesting interaction with each other. Um, uh, so phyco or phycocyanins produce nitri nitric, sorry, sometimes I'm, my, my, I can't talk good. <laughs> Your brain goes too quick. I get it. <laughs> so phycocyanins can stimulate nitric oxide production in plants, um, as well as increase the efficacy of nitrogen or nitric oxide, um, uh, uh, like implementation inside of uh, plants, like the through like metabolic processes and such. Um, so the two of them, I've paired the two of them together um, using beet juice and blue spirulina. Um, to stimulate plant growth um, as a foliar application. Um, and I've seen some really, really cool responses. Um, it's Sometimes it's hard to tell, um, you know, what's doing what, but that's something I've been playing with is the introduction of blue spirulina and uh, beet juice um, as a foliar application. Uh, so this is still new, you know, I've never heard of anyone doing this is something that I'm playing with, um, but- Hey, try, try adding just Try adding just a little fulvic acid to that mix. Oh, okay. Because that'll really push it into the plant cells. But I think, again, I think you're onto it, which is exactly why you're supposed to be here right now. <laughs> so I um, I added it to labs. Um, I took lactic acid bacteria serum. Um, I added uh, beet juice. I added blue spirulina to it. Um, and I started diluting that. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely try adding some fulvic acid to it. Um, and then using it as a foliar application. Um, I posted it on my Instagram initially, like originally, um, and then I kind of like thought about it and I was like, maybe I shouldn't put some like experimental thing that I really don't know, like like what's gonna happen with it, right? Um, Cause I don't want people to like do something that I like promoted and be like, oh, like there's some phytotoxic reaction and with this specific thing that I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to kill anyone's plants. So um, so let me put that out as a warning that this is, is, is something I just like thought of, right. That isn't necessarily widely used or potentially not without its consequences. So Luna, it's called you're on the cutting edge, young lady, just share right. the results. That's what we will really, you're, you're writing the book right now. So keep writing. It's beautiful so far. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and just uh, throw a warning on it. Just say, Hey, this is an experiment. Please follow along. Who knows you what's going to happen? Right. Yeah. And, and Luna, do you have a particular goal around this? What what is this? Is this? Are you looking for a better quality, a different color, um, with um, a, a better high, a different high? I mean, I'm always chasing um, aroma, right? Aroma. Okay. Um, just increased metabolic and flavonoid, you know, pathways and processes are going to produce more 
secondary metabolites and increase your aroma and your medicinal effects. I'm just trying to grow the best medicine possible. And, 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 and this, this would be arguably a, a flavonoid, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The, yes. phy the phycocyanin. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so, so um, it will be interesting to see if you do get different colors. Uh, well, because it's blue, right? It's, it's a dye. People use it as dye. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, I mean, one of, one of the reasons why, why we really do need our anthocyanins in our cannabis plant, and this is why it's so important to have both blue light, but also a good full spectrum light, uh, including green light, is because you can get a lot of these, these pigments in higher quantities than if you just grew under HPS, right? If you just grew under HPS, you're not going to get a lot of this other, other pigment uh, 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 production. And then, and then, of course, uh, if, if your plants end up getting even more red photons, they don't have the protective pigments of the anthocyanins that can, that can help uh, prevent things like bleaching. Um, oh, cool. Stuff, right? So, so I think, I, in my opinion, and, and we're still at this, at this realm, we often are starting to attribute a better high to increased flavonoids, right? A longer high, a, a, you know, a yeah. different type of high. And, and I think we're moving beyond terpenes. And now we're thinking, okay, maybe the terpenes aren't all about the high. Maybe there's some something with flavonoids. So I think yeah. this, this type of work, um, yeah, might just be creating another another great Thing. body experience. Yeah. A better medicine. I mean, this is this is why we, we want the color. It's why we want to eat beets and purple cabbage and blueberries and so on. Uh, we know it's got the antioxidant qualities. Yeah, protection from oxidative stress. <laughs> right. And and Av, I think you're spot on. You know about having more of the entourage, expressing more of those minor cannabinoids, flavonoids, terpenes. But there's so much more to it. But everything, like I've been blessed to get to smoke some of the most amazing cannabis on the planet. And generally speaking, it's not chasing THC. It's it's high terp. It's you know it's got CBGs, CBs. It's got the whole ca um, cannabinols as well as cannabinoids. But a, a lot of these minor expressions that do just what you're talking about. It it's a different high. It's more exhilarating. It's more thoughtful. It's it lasts a lot longer than those high teas. And and you know again, Luna, this is this is why you're so amazing because you're really chasing the goal of what living soil is all about plant expression maximum plant genetic expression and 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 now you're you're taking it to a whole nother level with with you know some of the work that you're doing so yeah man this is again amazing amazing work thanks i appreciate it and this is great i love talking to 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 big minds <laughs> I, it's hard it's, it's hard to find people to talk to you about this kind of stuff you mean crazy minds <laughs> two intelligent gentlemen um it's it's really difficult sometimes I'll, I'll try to talk to my friends about about stuff or just people that i know and they're just like i have no idea what you're talking about you know i can't have these conversations with people so like i just i have them with my computer <laughs> or whatever um and yeah, so it's great. Uh, I really appreciate y'all having me on. And, and, and you will be back for sure. For sure. In about six months, we'll have you back to yeah. give us an update on all of this that you've been working on. Cool. Yeah, I'm always trying to come up with new stuff and 
and, and trailblaze new things and, and go places where people aren't going. Um, I'm not big on, on following other people's recipes and definitely not big on, on um, doing something that someone else has done. Right. <laughs> you know? Boldly going where no one's gone before. Love I it. I tried to. I was a big, big next generation fan when I was a kid. So. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Okay. So what else we got here? Um, because we have. We got Shout out Mr. Toad. Yeah. Tony. I love Tony. You're the best Tony. Um, I have so much respect for that guy there. Um, deep respect, real deep respect. Yeah, Tony's the man. Um, hey, Tony, you do have access to the back on. You could uh, back end. You could always jump on for a couple of minutes. We could have a horizontal gene transfer. Oh, I love this topic. <laughs> horizontal gene transfer. Just casually in the conversation with horizontal gene transfer. <laughs> oh, please. Tell, tell, uh, more. tell us more. What do you got? Um, so horizontal gene transfer is when um, different organisms share um, genetic code with each other to adapt and overcome certain stressors or accomplish specific goals. Um, so specifically as it applies to to soil um these goals would be like decomposition and nutrient cycling uh symbiotic relationships with fungi mycorrhizae um but also to overcome pathogenic fungi um or bacteria um as well as adapt to environmental stresses um, um so the way that this is done is from what I understand is uh, as a organism breaks down and its genetic code scatters, um, it can be taken on by other organisms, um, biology surrounding it um, and use those pieces of code to rework its genetic structure to then have characteristics to overcome the list of conditions that I had just mentioned. Um, this is best affected in high microbial, microbially dense um, environments uh, like biofilms, um, but also in soils with a lot of biology. Um, and this is some a component of living soil that I think is often overlooked is that in living soil conditions and thriving soil conditions, we set the stage for biology to evolve to overcome um, uh, certain conditions. Um, and so we think of evolution as um, uh, survival of the fittest, um, as the, you know, things get new characteristics through mutation um, and then survive, right? Um, but there's also this that comes into play, which is actually the, the literal taking on, bringing in of genetic code from organisms to to adapt and overcome these, these situations. Um, which can literally create different forms of fungi, um, which is why we'll never know what all the different species of fungi are, lower fungi, higher fungi, um, because they're constantly um, being almost spontaneously created, um, potentially on a daily basis, right? Um, evolution, I think, happens a lot faster than, than we give uh, nature credit for. Um, and I think the horizontal gene transfer is a um, big proponent of that. Um, well, it's, it's been the foundation of all evolution since the beginning of time. And, and I just want to touch on this. There's, there's actually like about, well, we know of three, there may be others, but 
uh, meta barcoding uh, information has shown us that RNA is, is, is still in the soil. So meta barcoding is a way of DNA testing what's present, what's there, what's been there. And so the fact that RNA can last indefinitely in the soil means that any bacteria that comes in contact with it can take it into its outer shell, bring it into the cytoplasm, and then plug it in or excrete it, depending on what it wants to do. There's also another, when two particular bacteria come together and they share cytoplasm again through the outer shell. Um, so there's a, there's a, hey, I can do this. What can you do that I can't do? Okay, let's, let's trade, right? So there's that interaction. And then lastly is the, is the part that's really complex when you think of the consumption of a bacteria by a protozoa, there's another opportunity for, for this, you know, interaction to take hold. And again, it's been the evolutionary strategy, which got us to this planet to where it is, is that, that sharing that, what does Ken call it? Sharing, caring community, right? Caring, <laughs> sharing and community. Uh, well, you think it, it's like the two are, are going to university and they're only meeting for seconds, but in their life cycle, that could be the, almost a, a two, a generation. You know, some, some, what, 10 minutes they, they survive. So yeah, like it's, it's like going to university and Hey, Tony, there's it's another so brilliant mind. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to come on and say thank you and respect to, uh, to Luna. Yeah. Um, well, you think it, it's oh, like the two are, are going to university. Sorry about that. Who's watching it? I forgot to turn it off. Tony, what's up, man? How you doing? Good. Yeah, I was stoked to see that you were going to be on here. Um, you always have great information, so I've been watching since I got home for sure. You're one of the first people who like really got me on all this on this stuff. Um, I was I was stumbling around with with Gen Hydro, you know, over a decade ago, and then you were one of the first people that kind of got me kicked off on all this stuff, and I just it just has completely changed my life and redirected everything for me. So I have tons of respect for you, and I've talked to Tony about a whole bunch of stuff. Um, throughout the years um, and just knowledge bombs constantly. And so, yeah, I have a lot of respect for you, Mr. Appreciate that. Yeah, we, we've spoke many times over the, over the years, shooting yeah. information off each other. Um, it started in the PFA where that, that group was great in the beginning days, man. So many people learning so much new stuff about the plant, everyone coming in raw, and we all like beginners and then all ended up with so much new information from that group. And then all of us taking it and going different directions. It's so awesome to see that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, still, still in the PFA, not super active, but yeah. So, Av, have you ever met uh, Tony? Oh, yeah, you did on the OG's Power Hour, I think. Yeah. Tony and I have never done like a face-to-face -face or screen-to-screen -screen interaction like this before. Now, it's always been through text. We've just been online friends yeah. for I don't know for probably close to ten years now. Yeah, it's been, yeah. I would say so. About 10 years after, sure. Actually, oh, I just grew out um, uh, Tony's uh, uh, Mary's Cherry uh, genetic and, and bred with it. Um, super fire, uh, chem, chem gassy. It reminds me of like a burning burning rubber and like cherry. Um, it was super awesome. And I, I uh, uh, crossed that with another uh, cherry pie genetic, which was a cherry pie on ice cream cake. It was like a really high yielding yielding strain. Um, that I wanted to combine the, the two and kind of get this like really high yielding kind of chem dog influence. Yes, I have a whole bunch of seeds that I breed um, 
if anyone would like to check them out, um, I have the listed um, lineages, the parent lineages of all these. These are not the um, strains themselves, but the parent, parent lineages that I use to create these crosses. Um, so if anyone's interested in that, please contact me. Um, I have a whole bunch of seeds available. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and Tony, I just like to, again, thank you so much for all the hard work that you've done in, in breeding out these types of medicines specifically for people who have needed it. And, and then gifting, you just, you, you just give so much. So you're just a real pillar of the community. Again, we, deep we love and respect for all. I, I feel like we should all be given more away from this plan. The plan gives so much to us. If we don't give back some of it, it's it's just kind of like a form of stealing. I feel like we're taking our own souls and just throwing it in the trash. This thing's our ancestor. We have so much in common with this plant that can help heal us. If we would just share the information and the plant, someone's going to do more with it than we are holding it to ourselves. Like me and Luna talking about how far she's come from the beginning days. Same with myself and the rest of you guys. If we didn't have someone else give us some information to start with, we'd still be sitting there thinking that what we believed was correct. And most of the times it wasn't. You just have to open your eyes to new perspectives and you'll find something far superior to what you already thought was true. hundred percent. The more we make living soil relevant and common knowledge and just open with the information to everyone, um, the, the more power that we have to improve the, the living soil processes and understand them um, and make our products uh, more desired, more valuable, right? So. And better for us. And better for us. Right? And, now, I, and look at how much we talked about today and really had no answers, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. No questions. Or answers. <laughs> I have answers to questions I haven't even heard yet. <laughs> it's true. We just talk about things with so more and more, more and more questions. Um, I guess that means yeah, we're on the cutting edge, right? We're we're working on yeah. new things. If, if we you, don't have the you're answers. doing the work. And and um, I get skeptical. I get skeptical when people have you know answers all the time too. When you ask them something and they're like, oh, it's this. It's like you don't know that. <laughs> you know? um, uh, so. so speaking of questions we did have a few from the the, the chat so we should jump on those uh, does anyone recognize uh iodel 3 uh acetic acid acetic acid yeah yeah what about it and, 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 so. <laughs> yeah and, and so uh, you know for example that that is a microbially you take tryptophan and you can you can uh, uh, produce IAA through through uh, bacteria, right? Bacteria will take tryptophan, turn it into IAA, and so you can make your own. It makes its own. That's a phytohormone, right? So, uh, just, yep. just make, amazing to know once again how how as as Luna said, these microbes uh, are making a lot of those those phytohormones as well. So, so, so check this out: Pseudomonas putida. Oxalic acid, succinic acid, to promote indol three acetic acid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we 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 give we forget to give the credit to the the microbes and and we talk about how how um, yeah I mean like I think I think Luna you mentioned it earlier uh, you know Bacillus subtilis. There's particular strains of Bacillus subtilis that actually produce. Uh, help the plant produce the cytokinins, right? So we, we we think we think it's the kelp that's doing it. Now it's actually the Bacillus subtilis that works with the roots to make the the cytokinins. 
Yes, and I think that distinction is very important. It's very important to be specific when we when we communicate these interactions because if we lead people off the wrong trail, they're going to have correct implementation, right? Incorrect. I'm sorry, incorrect mm -hmm. implementation. And um, we have to understand that these things are done through biology and in the soil. You know, it's not so. And, and I think it, I think it's also important to bring up the fact that there's multiple different types of functioning bacteria. You have degraders decomposers, solubilizers. So when these guys start interacting and pulling shit apart, it gets even crazier because they're interacting to help the work of the other one do it more efficient so it can pass along. So it's it's like handing the torch in one of those runs. You know, I run for a little while, I give it to App. He runs mm -hmm. a little while, gives it to Tony. Tony gives it to Ken and Ken gives it back to Luna. And we made it around the track, right? So I, I dropped it a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were stoned, you missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drinking again, Ab. Come on, man. <laughs> okay, well, let's grab back to a question here, guys. Um, and is uh, aloe antibiotic? And yes, it is. So anybody want to add to that? So what is so? We'll, you know, we think of antibiotics as, you know, like uh, like penicillin and stuff, right? Like things that we consume that I'm not even really sure how exactly antibiotics function. But but a lot of the time, these um, um, these compounds that like have antimicrobial properties, they have those properties in like high concentrations, right? So like like honey um, has antimicrobial properties. You know, you leave it open and it's not going to grow like funky stuff on it. But if you mix it with water um, and, and spill it on the ground, um, it's going to start growing funky stuff on it, um, and so that's that's something to consider with with um, aloe vera. And also, aloe vera likes um, the latex. If you get the latex, um, like concentrations of it, like on a, a a plant, it will damage the plant. But when it's diluted, these things don't happen. So um, while aloe vera has, you know, like um, uh, antimicrobial properties. Um, when it's diluted, it's not going to do that. It's not going to like kill all the bacteria in your soil. It, it actually promotes it. It has a, a polysaccharide called asimenamin or something, um, which has been shown to be one of the best polysaccharides in, in promoting um, biology and um, bacterial formation blooms, bacterial blooms. And again, you can't just call it an antibiotic because there's so much more to that plant. Does it have antimicrobial properties? Yes, but there's still way beyond just an antibiotic yeah there's so many that's the amino acids that hormone. come from that plant hormones <laughs> salicylic acid jasmonic acid so miracle plant that can help any part of your garden and yourself 100 percent. a 710 ups man so then uh we've got uh so you're s sort of giving your plant a smoothie yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, pretty much. A lot of the times I like, I'll, I'll drink the stuff that I give my plants before I give it like humic acid, you know, you know, I don't want to be drinking kelp and humic acid. But yeah, there's definitely times where I taste the stuff. And yeah, a lot I you know, I, I see the soil as like a stomach. Um, yeah. And uh, we want to promote healthy, healthy gut, right? So well, that you, you mentioned inulin. I mean, that is, that's an amazing uh, pre prebiotic. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, prebiotic. Yeah. Right. So that's that's beautiful. Yeah. We should we should be consuming inulin as a prebiotic for ourselves. Yeah. It, every, mm -hmm. Yeah. Every morning I have um I have like 
um, carrot, beet, ginger, garlic, um, turmeric, uh, apple juice, uh, cucumber, you know, like I drink it. Um, and I'm like, you know, I should just give this to my plant. And I'm like, no, I think I'm just gonna, I'm gonna keep it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I just kind of followed the same, the same um, uh, thinking. Yeah, and remember, anytime you feed a plant a plant, it's way easier for the microbes to break it down. Again, conserving energy, mm -hmm. allowing them to work harder, faster, stronger, and better. Yeah. So feed your plants plants. Yes, feed your plants plants, yeah. So um, we're at the two-hour mark. Um, does anybody want to say anything about where you're going to be? Or you got anybody have anything coming up? Luna's got the new seed drop. Um, anybody got anything about that? I got some stuff coming up. I just don't have all of the hard dates. Uh, you know, we're doing um, a second annual. Um, Ventura County Compost Cup out here at the Rodale House or Rodale facility. Uh, we'll also be doing a heritage seed swap. Cool. Uh, we'll be representing peach hill soils and biocomplete compost in September. But again, those aren't hard dates yet. And I'll definitely announce them as soon as we move forward. But I think the big takeaway is the next two weeks are going to be really special um, with, with diving down some really deep rabbit holes like today. Because I think, you know, again, Luna, thank you so much for sharing with the community all of the hard work that you do, your dedication, your desire to boldly go where no one else has gone before, and risking it all in front of everybody. I mean, that's that's very commendable. And, I you know, I appreciate all your hard work and, and the way your brain operates and where it goes. So just keep going, girl, man. Just rock and roll, brother. Thank let's, you. Let's get it up. Yeah. I do my best. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. I had a blast. This is fantastic. Well, like we said, you're going to have to come back, Luna, you know, in, in six months and, and give us some a harvest report. Leighton's going to send you that stuff. You're going to see some absolutely interesting results. Um, we've got the crew from the Muncher on next Monday, and then we've got uh, Dr. Elaine Ingham the Monday after that. I think uh, Leighton sent her some of the Muncher stuff. Yeah, so she's, she's, bringing she's, yeah she's basically going to come on to discuss the test results it's we all know who she is we all you know understand what she's about but this is kind of this is kind of like prying open the the can or the lid of, of elaine ingham's brain a little bit further into uh where no one's gone yet you know so it, it should be really interesting and, and again tony thank you my friend for hopping on it's always great to see you and and we gotta we gotta drag you power hours over here at some point in the future <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Layton, and I respect you, all you guys, and thank you, Luna, for coming on here, and uh, always uh, appreciate thank that. You. Thank you so much. And Avid Ken, as always, thank you, brothers, for all the work that you're doing. Thanks, yeah. Luna. I'll thank be, you. uh, you'll have one more follower um, in the yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. If he can figure out how to use IG. I've got a few <laughs> figure it out. You got grandkids? Aren't they old enough to teach grandpa what to do? Yeah, anyone can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, we're going to end it there. You guys, uh, peace out. We'll see you on Monday with the Muncher crew. See y'all later. Yeah. Have a good night. Thanks, Luna. Thanks, you guys. Thank you.